Liawatha Elizabeth Warren has finally released a DNA test proving that she's super duper white. We will analyze Focahontas' new presidential campaign slogan, Elizabeth Warren, vote for 1 20 in 2020. Then fake news does another fake news, President Trump dunks on Leslie Stahl, and how transgenderism broke political correctness. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. today. I didn't, you know, this news about Liz Warren's DNA test about her Indian ancestry, this just broke this morning. I didn't know. Last night when I put my head on my little purple mattress, you know, I didn't know. I thought, what are we going to talk about tomorrow? I wake up today, sweet little Elisa nudges me. She goes, Mac, Mac, Elizabeth Warren wrote your show today, Mac. I thought, oh, that's so nice. Thank you, Liawatha. We, this is, this is truly illustrative of how deluded the left is right now, how deluded Democrats are right now, that they are celebrating Liz Warren's test as a victory. Liz Warren's test proving that she is nearly 100% white as a victory. We'll get to that in a second. First, got to make a little money, honey. Let's thank Bamboo HR. You know Bamboo HR. Uh, if you have your own small or medium-sized business, or if you work in HR, you know how crazy it can be. When I was hired at the Daily Wire, they had to hire an entire army of HR specialists, obviously. Uh, you have miles of spreadsheets, time off to manage, never-ending paperwork, countless random employee issues. The stress is huge, and it leaves no time to do what you love, such as working with people and making your business better. Uh, this is where Bamboo HR can help. Bamboo HR manages all your employee data and automates the countless tasks that you have to deal with. I have worked, I've worked on a lot of campaigns. I've worked in small businesses. I've worked here when this was a small business. Though that kind of paperwork, those kind of compliance tasks and HR tasks can really derail people from doing what they want to do, what they need to do to make their company grow. Uh, let H, uh, Bamboo HR fig- figure this out for you. Uh, it's, it's really good. All your employee information, record keeping, managed in one place, e-signatures, onboarding paperwork, all of that. There are no long-term contracts or commitments. Right now, Bamboo HR is giving my listeners a special extended free trial. That's right. Instead of their standard seven-day trial, that's for the, like, the plebeians. That's not for Michael Knowles Show listeners. You can try out Bamboo HR for a full 14 days. The only way to get this special offer is to go to BambooHR.com slash Kofefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Just type it in. It's fun to type. BambooHR.com slash Kofefe. For this exclusive extended free trial, go to BambooHR.com slash Kofefe. Limited time offer just for my listeners. BambooHR.com slash Kofefe. One more time. Do you know what it is? BambooHR.com slash Kofefe. Focahontas has done it. You know, President Trump challenged her. He said, I'll donate a million dollars to a charity of your choice if you take a DNA test that proves that you're a Native American. So she took the DNA test and it didn't go the way that she wanted, I think. It proves that she's almost entirely white. The te- So 99.9% chance she's white. Uh, the test did show the possibility that she has a smidgen of Native American ancestry uh, at, at the very most one thirty second Native American and perhaps more likely closer to one thousand twenty fourth Native American. She, she is less than one one thousandth Native American. Uh, possibly, according to this test. And the DNC and the Liz Warren campaign and the left is releasing this as though it is a victory. And I, we actually have uh, exclusive footage from inside the Liz Warren campaign headquarters, inside the Democratic National Committee headquarters to see why they're releasing this as a victory. I thought I was just a standard white guy. 
But DNA and me showed that I'm actually 4.2% Cherokee Indian. Turns out I'm not totally white. I'm also part Northern Asian and even some Kurdish. I'm a victim of oppression. I used to get in trouble for always using the N-word. But with DNA and me, I found out that I'm 2.1% black. Morning, Steve. The test is easy. Simply swab the inside of your mouth and send it into our labs. People made fun of me for being French. DNA and me showed I was 8% Navajo. Nobody's making fun of me now or my people who are victims. I'm 13% victim. <laughs> I'm 21% victim. Order now and find out if your friends should be more sympathetic. Order now. Is that a new sponsor? Are we going to get one of those? That, find out if you are a victim, the victim identifier. Uh, that is what Liz Warren is so happy about. So, you know, I thought that I was just a coddled white woman, white as can be, Har Harvard employee, uh, you know, traded on my fake ancestry to gain a professional advantage, you know, now a member of the United States Senate. But really, I'm a victim. Really, Liz Warren is a victim. That is the, this is the Boston Globe story. Uh, we've got to get into this because the, the way that the left is reacting is lunacy. Boston Globe comes out, they say, quote, Senator Elizabeth Warren has released a DNA test that provides strong evidence she had a Native American in her family tree dating back six to ten generations. An unprecedented move by one of the top possible contenders for the 2020 Democratic nomination for president. And this is very important. This is unprecedented because it shows how insane the left has gotten about their racism, about their race obsession. They are now releasing uh, tests that show that they have one one thousandth uh, Native American blood. They see, I'm, see, I'm, I'm that race. I'm that race. That race matters. That's what I'm, and I'm going to win. That is unprecedented. That is bizarre that we're now releasing our racial pedigrees when we're running for public office. That not, not in 70 years or so have, have we seen that in a developed country. That is pretty crazy. And it's the Democrats doing it all in the name of progressivism. The piece goes on. Warren, whose claims to Native American blood have been mocked by President Trump and other Republicans, provided the test results to the globe on Sunday in an effort to diffuse questions about her ancestry that have persisted for years. She planned an elaborate rollout Monday of the results as she aimed for widespread attention. This is like that scene, you know that Jim Carrey clip where I think it was in Dumb and Dumber where the girl is like, I will never date you, you're awful, I hate you, no, 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 no. And uh, he just looks up and goes, so you're saying there's a chance. That, that is Liz Warren opening these test results. All right, give it to me straight, doctor. Well, Liz, you're between 96.9 and 99.9% white. So you're saying there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance I'm Cherokee. That is absurd. Uh, th this was uh, done by Carlos Bustamante, Stanford University geneticist. I'm trying to analyze, just for you, how the left possibly thinks that this is a win. Because it's even, <laughs> it's even so the, the news, news reporters uh, got the number wrong. They initially thought it was between 132nd and 1500th, I think. Uh, Indian. Now they've revised that to 132nd to 1,000th Indian. Um, also, Native American DNA is notoriously unreliable in these tests. The reason for that is that Native Americans don't take these tests. One, because they don't care. They know that they're Native American. And two, because, you know, Native Americans, I'm willing to admit Native Americans have been treated a little rough in this country from time to time, so they don't, uh, they don't want to give over their, their uh, DNA to these guys. Um, 
the, the important statistic here is not 132nd, it's not 1,024th, it's not whatever. The average European American is 1.8% Indian, Native American, American, indigenous, whatever euphemism you want to use. That's the average white American has 1.8% Indian in them. Liz Warren has almost that exact same amount, possibly significantly less. It would be it, it would mean that virtually every white member of the United States Senate, Congress, running for president could say, oh, I'm an Indian. I'm Cherokee. Prove that I'm not. Because don't forget, Liz Warren used this for professional benefit. She says that she didn't. Fact checker, left wing commentary websites say that she didn't. She did. She certainly did. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, I, my first thought on this was, what was she thinking? And I'm not the only one, and this is not just a partisan reaction. Jim Messina, who was Barack Obama's campaign chairman, he also was furious. He's tweeting at you saying, what are you thinking? 22 days before an important election, the midterm elections, Liz Warren is doubling down on this absurd claim that she's an Indian, telling you not to believe your lying eyes because she's one one thousandth Native American. What are you thinking, Liz Warren? After the Kavanaugh effect that's already killing Democrats and swing races, Liz Warren comes down and says, yeah, but really, I'm Chief Liawatha. Give me a break. So, uh, so Jim, Jim Messina and I agree on this. We don't agree on much, but we agree on that. Liz Warren needs less attention on her ancestry. I know, you know what it is. It's that President Trump gets in the heads of his opponents because he's so brash and infuriating because he's like a little schoolyard bully who's holding Liz Warren's like stalks of corn and wampum. I don't know. I'm trying to make an analogy here. She's holding it. Uh, he's holding it above her head and she's saying, I'm real. I am Native American. You're not. You're Pocahontas. I am Native American. And he's, he's driving them crazy. If she were thinking clearly here, if she were thinking rationally, she would not take a test. She would not make a big news story about it. She would not do any of that. What she is thinking is that this issue has dogged her in her career. Uh, it might prevent her from being successful in 2020. President Trump has forever branded her Pocahontas. So she, what she's thinking is right now, even before the midterms, I'm going to get this story out there. My personal Pravda, the Boston Globe, is going to run with it. And they're going to cover for me. And all of the media are going to cover for me. And then when it comes up again, the next time President Trump calls me Pocahontas in six months, I can say, I took a test and it proves I'm Native American. That's not how this is going to play out. That is not how this is going to play out. President Trump is going to have a field day with this. I hope he has a field day with this. He hasn't really gotten too into it yet. I, I hope he's just, he's just, you know, testing out the tweets. He's trying, he's massaging it like a poet with, you know, with his meter and his rhyme scheme, trying to get the tweets right. This has no upside for Liz Warren. How, how are you going to react to this? So Liz Warren claims for her professional career that she's Native American. Not even just like part Native American. She's listed in the Harvard directory as Native American. She, she contributes a recipe to a Native American cookbook uh, called Pow Wow Chow as Elizabeth Warren Cherokee. Not Elizabeth Warren 99.9% generic white, possibly 0.1% Cherokee, and probably not even that. Just Elizabeth Warren Cherokee. So she's been do using this for her entire academic career. And then she says, no, 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 I wasn't lying. See, I'm one one thousandth Native American. Who's that going to convince? Conservatives obviously are going to laugh at that as we've been doing all day. Uh, but are, is that going to convince moderates? Is that going to convince independents who say, oh, well, you know, I thought she was lying about being Native American, but she's one one thousandth. So I don't know. I'm, I must be like one one thousandth 
sub-Saharan African, right? Somewhere, especially Italy. You know, a lot of people were moving around in Sicily in the in the good old days. Does that doesn't make me a black guy? Doesn't. I don't. I don't get to say certain words. I don't get to sing certain songs that are politically incorrect and offensive. Uh, absolutely not. Of course not. And this doesn't make her an Indian. But even among the left, because I think what what she's thinking right now is, okay, I'm going to at least give myself this data point that I can always point back to before the 2020 primaries heat up. And I'm going to give leftist progressives an excuse not to hate me. I'm going to give the race-obsessed left an excuse not to hate me. Is that really going to work? Because now they know. Now they know that she's 99.9% white. Before, we all, everybody knew it, but there was this kind of, you could just pretend. Say, well, we don't know. She never took a test. She could be Indian. We just don't know. And she doesn't look Indian, but we don't know. Now we know. It's like the monster in a horror movie. You know, when, you, when you're watching a horror movie and the monster or the killer is off screen, you fill it with whatever you want to see. You fill it with your imagination and it really works. When you see the monster, it's always a letdown because it can't live up to your uh, expectations. That is how the race-obsessed left, the activists that Liz Warren is trying to appeal to here, that's how, what they're going to see because the reality is going to disappoint them. It already has. Before we get any further with this, let me tell you about something that doesn't disappoint me, Black Rifle Coffee. Make a little money, honey. If you have ever found yourself wincing at the weak taste of coffee from those left-leaning soy corporate brands, you know, the ones that have become homeless shelters in recent days because of ridiculous PR stunts. I don't know. I'm just ones that maybe come from the city of Seattle. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I don't want to name any other brand. Uh, you've probably thought, I wish they spent less time on meaningless bias training, bathroom policy reform, donating to Planned Parenthood, all that other stuff that defies common sense, and more time on their coffee. That's why you need Black Rifle Coffee. Founded by former special operations veterans, Black Rifle delivers the best roast-to-order coffee right to your door. I got to tell you, I would probably buy it just to support veterans, first responder causes, because they're not politically correct wackos. Yeah. But what actually matters to me is just how good the coffee is. The coffee is excellent. You cannot beat the coffee. It is superb. I drink it all the time. Mm. I'm sorry, that was leftist tears. I, I also have coffee out of that too, though. Uh, this guarantees you're getting fresh premium coffee with every order. In addition to great coffee and gear, Black Rifle has a coffee club that makes things easy. Uh, they also give a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes, so that's a wonderful thing, too. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. You're going to want a little bit of both in your day, a little coffee, a little Covfefe. You can't have one without the other. Receive 15% off your order. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E, for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Covfefe. Go get it. It's very, very delicious. So I think this is going to backfire because... In the intersectional left, just like in that commercial, you know, I'm a victim. I'm 132nd victim. I'm 1,000th victim. You're, if you're a white lady from Harvard, you're going to lose that battle eventually. And now we have the data point. Now when she says, well, we don't know. I might be Native American. You can say, you're not. You're 1,000th Native American, maybe. Maybe not even that. Uh, I think that's going to really hurt her. Also, I would like to point out identity politics doesn't work for Native Americans because there aren't enough of them. So I think, I think they're, they're kind of believing their own press releases. They're believing some of the stuff that they're putting out there in their advertisements. And this is an important lesson. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got from my mother is don't believe your own press releases. Don't believe the stuff that you were saying just to kind of 
puff up your activities or puff up your campaign or don't don't fall into the trap of believing that yourself. I think she's believing that. She thinks, oh, if I can claim even one one millionth Native American ancestry, I'll get that victim point. You won't. The, the appeal of racial identity politics, which the left has totally embraced for decades now, the appeal is a brutal appeal. It's not an ideological appeal. It's not a philosophical appeal. It is brutal. It, it gets to our very basic animal instincts, which is, you look like me. I, you lo- I look like you. I'll vote for you. That's the appeal that they're making. And it's, it's pretty cheap and it's pretty tawdry and it's not a human or humanistic or elevated appeal. Um, but it only works if you look like the person. It only, the identity appeal only works if you can say, yeah, I'm going to help out black people specifically. And that other guy hates black people. And I'm going to help out Hispanics specifically. And the other guys hate Hispanics. It only, if you're appealing directly to that group, what's the appeal for Native Americans? What, what argument is she making on behalf of Native Americans? How many are going to swing the vote? At least in certain municipalities, if you can actually appeal to race and you can get uh, racial groups to vote as a block, then, you can, then, it, then it works. It at least pays off at the ballot box. That doesn't work for Native Americans. She, she, she must be kicking herself that she doesn't have some, you know, more, more populous racial minority group that she could cynically try to play on. Um, the, the other, the other reason this doesn't work for Democrats is it reminds American voters of the Democrats' terrible history. So this is not going to be as bad an effect as the rest of them, but it reminds voters of the one drop rule, which is this racist Democrat policy from the 19th and 20th centuries, that if you had even one little teensy drop of black heritage in you, then you were black for purposes of the law and therefore you were a second class citizen. That, that's a, obviously a, a racist idea. It's a, uh, uh, creates racial hierarchies that do, do not and should not exist. And she's buying into that a century later for her Native American uh, lies. Because what a tangled web we leave when we, when we practice to conceive. Uh, when we practiced, oh, that's, no, that, wow, that was a Freudian slip. A Freudian slip is where you say one thing and mean your mother. What a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. And that's what Liz Warren has done. She told this lie in the 1980s. She was becoming a professor. She switched from white ethnicity to Indian, Native American ethnicity. This, uh, she contributed, you know, recipes to that cookbook. And Harvard touted this for her. They said, we have a Native American on staff. She's been covering up for that lie ever since. And this evidence today exposes that lie even more. Does she, just putting aside all of that ugliness, does she really think this quells the issue? That people are going to say, okay, well, okay, one one thousandth. Of course not. This is more fodder. And uh, she's using this to galvanize the left. Does she not think her primary opponents in 2020 on the left are going to use this? Does she not realize that Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Joe Biden, all of these guys are going to clobber her with this? It's not, she is not the leader in this presidential race right now. If anybody is, probably Joe Biden is because Barack Obama might support him. If there's a breakout star right now, she is not the leader. She cannot play it uh, as though she's the, the nominee. She's got to play really hard, punch really hard, and she's not doing it. Why did she do it? I think she did it because Trump makes people expose who they are. He makes people expose who they really are. You know, I, I remember this vividly in the, the 2016 primaries. There was that moment on stage where President Trump, is, he's talking to Jeb Bush, he's prodding Jeb Bush, and Jeb Bush says something that, you know, he, he thought Donald would approve of. 
and Donald puts his hand out there and Bush smacks it, gives him a weird, like awkward high five. And this killed Jeb Bush because Jeb Bush had been running on, I am this serious, mature, confident person in the room, very sober, but no, he was okay. He's a politician like everybody else. And President Trump exposed that when he, when he did his like, yeehaw, you know, jump up and smack Trump's hand, it exposed him as not really being more stable, not really being more mature than anybody else. He might've held his Chablis glass the right way, but it exposed that lie. He does it to everybody. Obviously he did it to Hillary. When he, when he had a, a, prodded Hillary Clinton into calling half the country deplorable and irredeemable, uh, she exposed who she was. The Democrats now are admitting to being a mob because they hate Trump so much. They say, yeah, you bet we want to go clobber them at their house where their children sleep, in restaurants. You bet we're going to go out there and get them. So he's, he's forcing them to admit who they are. And Liz Warren is doing that too. And unfortunately for Liz Warren, she's an old white lady. Uh, this is the difference between Democrats and Republicans here. Because what are the Republicans talking about in their strategy sessions? They say, we're going to go hard on political correctness. We'll get to that in a second later. Uh, we're going to go hard on immigration. We're going to go hard on the economic prosperity, the virtual extinction of unemployment, the relative peace around the world. That's what we're going to campaign on in this election. What are the Democrats thinking? Thinking, hmm, is 132nd enough? Is that, is 1,000th enough? By the way, it's not. For membership in these Indian tribes, uh, usually you need one quarter Indian heritage. Uh, that's for most tribes. Some, you can go down to 116th. Um, I think the Eastern Cherokees allow you to go down to 1 16th. Uh, and the Cherokee nation says there's no limit, there's no minimum, but you do have to be able to document it. She doesn't have any of that. Liz Warren doesn't have, doesn't meet any of those requirements. She would be rejected for membership, even though she contributed powwow chow to that, to that cookbook. That is the uh, reality of this. And, uh, I'm one, I'm less than one 1,000th Native American is not an answer. Uh, the other political error that she's making here is she doesn't realize that when you're explaining, you're losing. So Ronald Reagan articulated this very well. When you are explaining in politics, you are losing. What do you mean by that? Well, in politics, sometimes the best defense is a good offense. Trump is a good example. Brett Kavanaugh is a good example. When you punch back really hard, it disorients your opponent. But when you're explaining, you've already given up the argument. If somebody says to you, when did you stop beating your wife? You say, well, what, 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 did, you, did you talk to my wife? My wife will tell you that, that I, I, I didn't beat her and, I, blah, blah, and you've already lost because you've accepted the premise that they're giving you. When you're explaining, you're losing. Sometimes it's true. The premise that Liz Warren is fighting against here is that she's a liar and a fraud and inauthentic. That's true. She's not going to win by fighting that. That's true. She's a fraud. She's not going to win by explaining why she's not a fraud. She's got to hit something else. She's got to talk about, I don't know, healthcare or whatever other, or, you know, soaking the rich, I think is Medicare for all. I don't know. Uh, she's got to run on her socialist program. That's the only way she has a chance. If she's fighting on the terms of this premise that she's, uh, she's, she's not really inauthentic. She's not really a fraud. She's going to lose. Uh, President Trump uses this to great effect when you're explaining you're losing. So you always punch back. If you saw this 60 Minutes interview, it was superb. And don't take my word for it. Because obviously I'm, I'm a little biased. I, I like the president. V Variety admitted this. A left-wing Hollywood publication, Variety said, quote, 60 Minutes outmatched by Donald Trump. Here's a clip of him talking to Leslie Stahl. You go out and you go to Mississippi. The famous Mississippi speech. I had one beer. Well, 
You think it was, nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. And you mimicked Professor Blasey Ford. You mimicked her. Had I not made that speech, we would not have won. I was just saying she didn't seem to know anything. And you're trying to destroy a life of a man who has been extraordinary. Why did you have to make fun of her? I didn't really make fun. Well, they were laughing. What I said is, the person that we're talking about didn't know the year, the time, the place. Professor Blasey Ford got before the Senate and, and was asked, what's the worst moment? And she said, when the two boys laughed at me, at my expense. Okay. And then I watched you mimic her, and thousands of people were laughing at her. They can do what they, I, I will tell you, the way now Justice Kavanaugh was treated has become a big factor in the midterms. Have you seen what's gone on with the polls? But did you have to? Well, I think she was treated with great respect. I'll, I know, I'll but, be honest. But, but do you think there you are those that think she with, shouldn't have been? Do you think you treated her with great respect? I think so. Yeah, I did. But you seem to be saying that she lied. Uh, well, you know what? I'm not going to get into it because we won. It doesn't matter. Well, we won. Did you see? There is so much in that clip. There actually, it's. Not, I mean, it's typical, you know, Trump bluster. But there is a lot of rhetoric to to realize there, and it's all on this when you're explaining you're losing. So she brings it up. She says you mocked, you made fun of Christine Ford, you know, that lady who changed her story a thousand times and discovered these 30-year-old memories after the fact at the 11th hour, that, you know, that lady. You made fun of, of Christine Ford. And so his first reaction is, no, I didn't really make fun of her. So his first reaction is denial. It's a very New York thing, deny till you die. <laughs> So his first reaction is denial. And then she shows the clip and she goes on. And, but you, you, you made fun of her. Why did you make fun of her? Now, what a less skilled media operative or a less skilled politician would have done there is said, I, I, didn't, I didn't really make fun of her. I said, hypothetically, I just pointed out, you know, the, te- the testimony. And, but I wasn't making fun of her. I was, well, and define the word fun and define making. And, well, it depends on what the definition, you know, no. What he does is he realizes where this is going. If it were just one question, they could move on. But he realizes that Leslie Stahl of 60 Minutes is going to try to nail him on this point and just drill it until he says something stupid and they're going to run with that. So what does he do? He immediately turns it to Kavanaugh. He says, look, the way Kavanaugh was treated very, he even takes that little beat. You can see it turn. Kavanaugh was treated very unfairly. What they did to Kavanaugh was so awful. So he changes it. He moves the topic into a a new direction. And uh, then she says, but I want to get back to talking about how you made fun of her. Didn't you, didn't you make fun of her? And he says, absolutely not. No, I didn't. Do you notice the difference there? At first he said, oh, I didn't really make fun of her. To, I did not make fun of her. To, then she says, no, didn't you though? And he says, I treated her with great respect. I think I treated her with great respect just within that answer. Now, you might say these sort of contradict one another. They don't quite contradict one another, but you are seeing rhetorical strategies change as he's getting where this is going. And he is fighting. He is punching right back. He goes, I think I treated her respectfully. Yeah, I think I treated her respectfully. And Leslie Stahl still pushes it. So she's just there hectoring him, just badgering him. And so finally he says, well, we won. Doesn't really matter now, does it? Because we got him on the court. So yeah, keep trying. Because he's still on the court. And that, that re- I think that really shows you a lot about how we should handle politics through the midterms and afterward. They are not, that's not an honest question. 
Were you making fun of her? You were making fun of her. Were you making fun of her? That's not an honest question. That is a line of attack. So you've got, you can't counter that line of attack by trying to explain why you weren't really making fun of her. He denied it. He hit hard and then he changed the topic. He moved on. He blew right past it. You know, uh, Antonin Scalia in an interview with Leslie Stahl, almost the exact same setup, uh, he had a similar interaction with her where she said, you say, Justice Scalia, the torture isn't cruel and unusual punishment. And he says, yeah, that's right. She goes, well, if you're trying to get information out of a terrorist, he says, yeah, right. If you're trying to get information, that's not punishment. Then you're trying to get information. How is that punishment? She goes, well, you know, because you're a terrorist. And, and she just keeps pushing. She just keeps saying, it's cruel and unusual. It's cruel and unusual. It's cruel and unusual punishment. And finally, he just cuts her off and he says, well, that's my view and it happens to be correct. <laughs> Which is a line that I now use constantly, you know, whenever, really, whenever you get to the end of an argument, say, well, that's my view and it happens to be correct. And uh, President Trump realizes this too. I think Republicans should get it. You know, I saw Jeff Flake today was getting squishy again. I know, shock. Also, water is wet and the sky is blue and the sun shines. And Jeff Flake said, well, we shouldn't have spiked the football over Kavanaugh. Spike that football. I want, I want para-jumpers, you know, uh, out of uh, helicopters and out of airplanes to grab a, a football, not deploy their parachute, and just dive it right into the dirt. I want it to go halfway through the core of the earth. Spike that football. It teaches them a lesson. This is a bare-knuckle moment, and uh, we can't have people who don't understand that. So then there's more fake news. I know you'll be shocked to find that out. Uh, the fake news this weekend was particularly egregious. NBC tweeted this out. They said, quote, watch President Trump says that Robert E. Lee was a great general during Ohio rally calling the Confederate leader incredible. Incredible. Not just great general here. Incredible. Now, here's the clip that they posted with President Trump. It also gave you a general who was incredible. He drank a little bit too much. You know who I'm talking about, right? So Robert E. Lee was a great general. And Abraham Lincoln developed a phobia. He couldn't beat Robert E. Lee. He was going crazy. Couldn't beat Robert E. Lee. Okay, alter. So you heard that. You heard that begin. That was the whole clip that they posted. The trouble with their tweet is that it was uh, completely incorrect. They tweeted out. I feel like Herman Cain. Herman Cain during one of the debates in 2012, uh, some Bloomberg reporter said, uh, Mr. Cain, we've analyzed your tax plan and it'll cost the government uh, way too much money. And he said, well, the problem with your analysis is that it is incorrect. That's the, the problem with your tweet, NBC, is that it is incorrect. Uh, so they, they tweet, correction. An earlier tweet misidentified the general President Trump described as incredible at a rally in Ohio. It was General Ulysses S. Grant, not General Robert E. Lee. It was the opposite general. <laughs> it was the good guy, not the bad guy. They go on. An attached video clip lacked the full context for Trump's remark. Here is the full clip. Here's the full clip. They didn't know how. And one day, it was looking really bad. And Lincoln just said, you hardly knew his name. And they said, don't take him. He's got a drinking problem. And Lincoln said, I don't care what problem he has. You guys aren't winning. And his name was Grant, General Grant. 
And his name was Grant General Grant. You heard that. The setup on the Incredible General in that first clip was he had a drinking problem. The payoff in this clip is he had a drinking problem, but he was an Incredible General Ulysses S. Grant. So they finally released that. How long do you think it took NBC News to correct that story? And, and by correct, I mean completely reverse it. Completely reverse it. That you remember there was a study a few years ago that came out, uh, some psychology study that said that conservatives are m- much more likely to be authoritarian than leftists. And then years later, they corrected that and they said, oh, actually, it's the opposite. Oh, actually, the leftists are authoritarian. Sorry, we forgot it was opposite day when we released the video. So I guess it was opposite day when NBC News released that clip. How long do you think it took them to to correct that? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Ten minutes on Twitter is a long time. Two hours? Two days. Two days it took them. Are we to suspect that they didn't watch the clip? I don't know. Maybe they watched the clip. That they don't understand how language works? That's perfectly plausible. Uh, It took them two days, though. Why? Because they're dishonest. They always run the the fake story on page one and then the the correction on page 377. Um, And this clip, by the way, tells us a lot about Donald Trump. I'll tell you what it tells us in a second. Uh, Plus, we've got to get on to... Uh, how Mitt Romney never learns anything, some important polls for the midterm elections. And then I think I've discovered the straw that broke the camel's back of political correctness. I think I've discovered the end of political correctness. But first, we've got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. You go to dailywire.com. And by the way, if you join Daily Wire right now, you will get early access to Another Kingdom. That's the podcast that I'm doing with Andrew Clavin. He wrote the whole thing. I read it. It's been illustrated. It's got this incredible artwork now, cool sets, and uh, it's Drew's story. It's the second season. First season was very popular. This one is even cooler. Uh, You will get that on Mondays, and you'll get to watch the whole thing if you are a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, you got to wait until Friday, and then you just get to listen to it. That's terrible. Don't do that. Go, daily, go to dailywire.com. It's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag, you get to ask questions in the conversation. But then you get this. You get the Leftist Tears Tumblr, which contains heap big leftist tears these days. Heap big leftist tears. This, is, this has sustained my ancestors for generations and generations. The, the great spirit of the leftist tears has moved from plane to plane as the Knowles family has moved across this great country, and it can sustain you too. This is, at, look, you know, I'm a Native American. I was born in America. This is a little Native secret that I've uncovered. It is the leftist tears. It will sustain you. It will bring you joy all the days of your life. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. This clip tells us a lot about Donald Trump because he's talking about Ulysses S. Grant. He says, look, there was this incredible guy, but he had a drinking problem. And so they didn't, they didn't pick him. Then the Lincoln had this trouble because the Confederate general, Robert E. Lee, was a great general and he kept winning victory after victory. And Lincoln picked all the guys who looked like the good generals, all the guys who should have been the good generals. You know, they, they had the right cut of their jib and they talked good and they went to West Point and they, they all should have been great generals, but they kept losing to Robert E. Lee. And so Lincoln took a little look over at that alcoholic, <laughs> that guy with a drinking problem, Ulysses S. Grant, and he picked him and he said, I don't care if he's got a drinking problem, he can win. He can fight and he can win. 
I'll put the historical seriousness of that story aside and just listen to Trump telling that story. He's talking about himself. And this is actually pretty self-effacing. One of the things about Trump is he's this big ego, right? He's always talking. Trump is on every building that he's ever walked by. He's plastered his name on it. This is pretty self-effacing because he's comparing himself to an alcoholic. He's saying, look, I know I don't look like the tough conservative president. I know I don't sound like him. I don't talk like the president. I don't talk like the guy who can fix the economy, bring peace around the world, you know, fix some wars here and there, renegotiate trade. I know I don't talk like that guy and I don't look like that guy and I've got my own flaws. But sometimes that's just the guy who can get it done. And I think he's absolutely right. And, and some more evidence for this is that he said this before. They were talking about uh, Brett Kavanaugh's beer drinking. You know, I like beer. I still like beer. I drink beer. I like beer. And uh, Trump said, you know, I'm basically the only politician in the world who can say I've never had a beer. I've just never, I've never had a beer. And imagine if I did, I would be the worst. The only good thing about me is that I don't drink. That was his quote. It was almost, almost word for word his quote. And that was self-effacing. It means he's got a sense of his own flaws. And he's a very flawed guy. No question about it. But for him to talk like this at a rally is pretty impressive to me. It actually shows me that he understands his place, not just in the Republican Party, not just in the American government, but also in history. That he's the guy who goes in and just the unlikely fixer. He's the unlikely guy that you'd never pick in ideal circumstances. You'd always pick the guys who look like they should win, except they can't win. So you pick that guy and maybe he can pull you, pull you out of victory. Uh, I, I'm really impressed when I see these things. Sometimes I worry, you know, that he really is the caricature that the left makes him out to be. But then he keeps getting stuff right. So I don't believe that. And I, I, I really, uh, you know, I, I trust my lion eyes before I trust the lying New York Times. Um, Compare him, compare that line to Mitt Romney, who we've talked about, I think months ago on the show, we talked about how Mitt Romney can't learn anything. Donald Trump does learn things, but Mitt Romney just can't. He never learns anything. Here is some, you know, lefty comes up, approaches Romney with a camera and tries to get Romney on the record talking about, maybe it was a right winger, I don't know, talking about never Trump. You know, President Trump is uh, uh you know, or rather Mitt Romney is going to go to the United States Senate. He's going to have to work with Trump. So whoever it is, left or right winger has the camera there. And you hear this question come out from, you know, all the other press who are there with the microphones and they say, what about never Trump? Here's his answer. Oh, I don't think that was the case. Uh, President Trump was not the person I wanted to become the nominee of our party, uh, but he's president now. The policies he's promoted have been pretty effective. And uh, I support a lot of those policies. Uh, when, that, when there's a place where I disagree, I point that out. But right now, we're in a race to say, are we going to have a nation that is going to be guided by conservative principles, or are we going to take a sharp turn left? Turn left? And conservative principles work. And that's why people, I think, are going to get behind Martha McSally and across Republicans across the country. There's the Mitt Romney answer. There it is. They say, you were the leader of Never Trump. He was the leader of Never Trump. Mitt Romney was the former presidential nominee of the Republican Party. He came out, he called Trump a liar and a fraud. He said his promises are worth, as worthless as a degree from Trump University. By the way, it turns out President Trump has kept more promises than virtually any president in recent history. And, uh, but he came out, I mean, he gave that speech, that blistering speech against Donald Trump. Uh, and, and he didn't vote for Donald Trump. He was the face of the true Never Trump movement. And now what does he say? Well, I wasn't the head of Never Trump. I never, what are you talking about Never Trump? Was it never Never Trump? I'm a never, never, never Trump. 
This reminds me, he did this exact thing in 1994 when he was running for Senate in Massachusetts. He was asked uh, about the record of Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan and, you know, uh, in the 1980s, Reagan Bush, here's his answer. Look, I was an independent during the time of Reagan Bush. I'm not trying to return to Reagan Bush. Same thing. I was an independent during the time of Reagan. I'm not trying to return to Reagan Bush. I was an independent during the time of Never Trump. I'm not trying to return to Never Trump. Look, Mitt Romney comes from the squishy wing of the Republican Party. His father, George Romney, came from that same wing. The liberal, you know, kind of consensus, middle part of the Republican Party. But he always pretends to be something different when he's running for office. Mitt Romney invented Obamacare. He was the governor who installed Obamacare in his state, and then he tried to pretend that he wasn't. He's always running away from who he is. It's the same problem that Liz Warren has. I don't mean to beat up on Mitt Romney. I'm sure he's a good guy, but he just is so bad at this. Like he's so wrong on this one issue. Be who you are. If he, if they had said, well, you know, you led never Trump. What do you think now? If they said that to him and he said, look, yeah, I was really anti-Trump, never Trump. And then it turned out he's been a very good president. Yeah, I guess I was wrong. I'm glad I got that one wrong. And I can't wait to continue this great conservative success when I'm in the U.S. Senate. That would be a great answer. Still be a little skeptical of Romney, but at least he's being honest. At least he's being authentic. But what he, he looks me in the eye and he tells me that reality isn't as it is. If in that 94 election, he thought that being a conservative was a risk in that 94 election against Ted Kennedy. Guess what? He lost the election. Of course he lost the election. But if he came out there, they said, what do you think of Reagan Bush? And he said, I thought things went great during Reagan Bush. And I think the reason that we're, we, we've seen an economic boost is because of the policies of Reagan Bush. And I think we defeated the Soviet Union, which by that time had been defeated because of Reagan Bush. Yeah, if, if returning to Reagan Bush means winning the Cold War and having peace and prosperity, you're damn right I'm a supporter of Reagan Bush. If he had said that, he would have had a fighting chance. If you stand in the middle of the road, you are going to get hit by a truck. This is a fact of politics. And he's doing the same thing again. He's going to win this Senate seat, but it's really frustrating. It's really, uh, really unfortunate. Um, speaking of polls, by the way, before we get on to the cause of the death of political correctness, I want to point out an important poll that matters. No, I'm not talking about Missouri. No, I'm not talking about Indiana. No, I'm not talking about Texas. All of which show significant movement <laughs> in the direction of the Republican candidate after Brett Kavanaugh. I'm not talking, I'm talking about First Man. You saw this movie with Damien Chazelle came out over the weekend. And, you know, Ryan Gosling movie about Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. And it's one of these blockbuster Oscar bait movies. And it flopped at the box office. Now, there had been some controversy with this movie because they don't show Neil Armstrong planting the flag on the moon. Why didn't they do that? I don't know. I sort of suspect it's because they want to cozy up to Chinese audiences and overseas audiences, which are going to constitute a lot of its profit. But Ryan Gosling did an interview and he said, oh, you know, it's because it was a human achievement. It's not an American achievement. And this really irritated half the country. So I was watching these box office returns pretty closely because I thought, you know, if this is a monster win at the box office, conservatives aren't as influential as I thought we were. Conser the, the, the raw feeling of patriotism wouldn't be as big. And this thing flopped. It only made, I think, what is it, 16 million over the week? 16, 17 million? Should have made a lot more money than that. Uh, that's an important poll. Polls are notoriously unreliable, especially generic polls, especially national polls. I think that poll is pretty reliable. This movie should have been a hit. The, I, the only explanation I can come up with is that 
Americans don't want to see Hollywood disrespect them anymore. They don't want to see elites disrespect them anymore. They don't want to be pushed around. 22 days until the election. That's an important data point. Um, and I, I think I know why the tide turned. There was this study that came out uh, at the end of last week. It showed that 80% of Americans oppose political correctness. They think that it's a, a danger to the country. 80%. This is an all-time high. In the 1990s, the number was 53% opposed PC. Uh, then it rose even as, as late as 2016. Polls put it about 73%. Now it's up to 80% consider political correctness a serious problem in the country. Why is that? I think the answer is transgenderism. I actually think that's the one that put it over because, you know, it's one thing to say, you have to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. You might roll your eyes and say, man, that's stupid. I mean, it's the holidays, Christmas, but all right, whatever. It's quite another thing to follow a guy's daughter into the changing room at the swimming pool because you say that men can be women and women can be men. That's a very different thing. Sex is essential to our identities. In the beginning, God created man, male and female, he created them. This is a, a raw part of us. We've got a lot of hormones pumping through our body. The attraction for, for men to women and women to men is essential to the human condition. It's enjoyed by at least 97 or 98% of the population. Um, it's, it, it really matters. It really moves people. I think that's what this is about. There was a story that came out from the women's cycling tournament, the UCI masters track cycling world championship. This transgender dude who now is pretending to be a woman won the women's championship. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Rachel McKinnon is the name. Rachel McKinnon tweets out, quote, Lots of transphobic bigots are responding to my world championship win saying, next up the Paralympics. Hey women, you realize all these people, many of them women, are comparing you to disabled people, right? Wow, offensive. Because this person, this guy, uh, uh, Rachel McKinnon, is trying to distract from the fact that he, a man with a biological advantage, took a prize away from women who should have won because it's a women's competition. Because it's a women's competition. And he actually, well, look, we've been predicting this forever and it's happened frequently too. Uh, he actually responded because people said, look, you have a biological advantage. He said, quote, focusing on performance advantage is largely irrelevant because this is a rights issue. We shouldn't be worried about trans people taking over the Olympics. We should be worried about their fairness and human rights instead. But it's a sports competition. Sports competition is about physical prowess. He says that people are comparing women to the disabled in the analogy about the Paralympics. Women do have a handicap. There is a handicap when men are competing against women. Men are stronger. This guy, Rachel McKinnon, tweeted out, he said, we don't know why men do better at sports than women. We don't know. It's really complicated. It's not complicated. Men are stronger than women. That's why. Even Because then the response is always, well, Michael, you're not exactly an Adonis. You're not a strong guy. You're not physically fit. Right. I know. I could still beat up virtually any woman. I don't want to. I never want to do that. God forbid I, that ever happens. I'm just telling you, men are stronger than women. I think that there is this idea, this crazy ideology, especially among millennials, that, oh, well, you know, men generally are stronger than women, but look, there are a lot of women who could beat up guys. There are not a lot of women who could beat up guys. There are virtually no women who could ever beat up any guy. It, of people, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe some like eight-year-old boy or something, but people who are vaguely in the same age range, 
uh, it virtually can never happen because men simply are stronger than women. This is a biological fact. And they're denying this biological fact. And I think it cracked political correctness because I can look with my own two eyes and I can see that a guy is not a woman and that a woman is not a man. And, and when, you, when that lie is exposed, when that essential lie is exposed, all the other ones, you think, oh, maybe illegal aliens aren't really undocumented dreaming dreamer sleeping dreamers. Maybe future documented America. Maybe those lies, maybe it isn't true. Maybe that falls apart. Uh, I think you're seeing the crack up of, of political correctness. And I would encourage people, we're talking about earlier President Trump's political kind of gut reaction. Look at where he goes on the issues. I think there you're going to find where people resonate strongly because he doesn't think about politics from the perspective of Edmund Burke or Russell Kirk or Michael Oakeshott or even Bill Buckley or whatever. He's thinking about it from a really gut level, from a media level, from an information level. And what did he focus on? Political correctness, immigration. Those were the big issues in the 2016 campaign. And we're still seeing that really resonates with people. The lies of political correctness, justice, injustice, protecting our borders, protecting our country. Um, Really good news for Republicans from all of those polls. But look around because in the next 22 days, you're going to see polls get manipulated, try to suppress conservative votes, try to uh, boost uh, left-wing activism and left-wing votes. Look around for that because it is bound to happen. But we will be here drinking our powwow tears, our powwow chow tears, and smiling because right now people should be cautiously hopeful. Come back tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I will see you. No, I won't see you tomorrow. I'm giving a speech tomorrow. Sorry. I'll see you on Wednesday. (laughs) Sorry. You've got to wait. Just mull on this. Mull on all of this wisdom for a whole day or watch Another Kingdom. See you on Wednesday. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Senia Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer, Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Jim Nickel. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.